All right, everybody, welcome back to this week's edition of American Billiard Radio. Today is September the 4th, 2014, and my name is Jake from State Farm, and I'm wearing khakis. We got a lot of good stuff going on this week. I want to kick it off by uh, sending off some uh, congratulations to the juniors. They're getting ready to, to go to the World Nine Ball Championships in Shanghai. We have uh, nine worthy contenders from the United States going, and uh, I want to give them all a a pat on the back. So uh, Nick Evans, Manny Perez, Devin Poteet, Taylor Reynolds, Rachel Lang, Ricky Evans, Samuel Hoffman, April Larson, Michelle Zhang. Congratulations to all you guys. Go and have a blast. Uh, You will, uh, if you haven't been before, you're going to be thrilled to visit China. I hope you guys get to meet a lot of cool people and, uh, and you know, well, hopefully you should win some too, you know, that would be nice if you guys uh, bring home a couple of big fat trophies. So, uh, yeah, you guys do that. A um, couple of congratulations also, Charlie Bryant and Vivian, Viv- Vivian Villarreal at the Texas Open cleaning up there. So, uh, hats off to those guys, no pun intended, and, you know, I'm getting excited about this next weekend. Uh, Jason Shaw versus Shane Van Boning. That's going to be a pretty epic uh, match going on there, too. So check in with uh, Castle Billiards, where that will be pay-per-view broadcast from, and you can get to watch it, too. Uh, let's see what else can I tell you. You know what? Next week is going to be good also because um, we will be rejoined by uh, Daryl and Todd out of Kansas City for the Pool Time Radio Show should be back. Should be back next week, I believe, on the 9th. That would be Tuesday, I think. And on Wednesday, we're also going to be joined with uh, another sh- a new, n- another new show that I mentioned last week. Uh, Mr. Jim Wagoner out of Minneapolis. He's kicking off a new show this coming Wednesday. Uh, as well. So it's going to be called Table Time, I believe. Or, excuse me, Table Talk? Table Talk, I think that's right. Uh, it'll be Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central. So uh, if you're in the Minneapolis area, you guys are in for a treat. Going to make sure you tune in for that. Uh, well, today is, is uh, an unusual show. Because um, we had such a long interview with uh, Jimmy Matea that we really didn't have a whole lot of time to include anybody else. So we're just going to dub this the Jimmy Matea Show. Uh, <laughs> or we could call it the Pretty Boy Floyd Show if you really wanted to. Um, whatever the case, uh, we're going to go ahead and get underway uh, with uh, that real quick. But first, you got to tune in for your one-minute pool instructor. Got to get your lessons in for the week. I'm Scott Lee. And I'm Randy G. Welcome to the One Minute Pool Instructor. Boy, I like this next subject, Scott. Well, this week we're going to discuss what the heck is the difference between practicing and playing? It's largely misunderstood, isn't it, Randy? Yeah, it's been battered around in uh, pool books and videos and in the pool hall talk. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 but there's a huge difference between practicing 
and playing. It may be the most misunderstood concept out there in the pool world. I know it oh. certainly is on AZ Billiards. Oh, and, and maybe all sports. Absolutely. Most people think that practice is throwing the balls out and running them off or racking the balls up and playing the ghost or playing a, a set against your buddy. Not it. No, no. If, if your goal is to win, then you're not practicing. <laughs> right. So if your goal is to learn something new or to establish a routine, that's called a practice. So a practice would be a repeatable routine with measurable results. And achievable goals. Yeah, achievable. But they're down the line, right? Well, uh, you know, there a lot of people say, well, you want to learn this shot, shoot it a hundred times sure. or a thousand times. A million, right? Whatever. Get a million. Uh, our, our goal is to work with a number of repetitions that uh, produces the the result that we're looking for and yet it's not too easy not too hard doesn't take too long because we it, all have short attention it spans. doesn't get boring right. yeah for sure and we know how to measure it if I don't know why I'm doing it and what I'm supposed to get out of it then uh, I'm just hitting balls well how do you know when you've practiced long enough well we're certainly a an advocate of the 2020 rule right no more than 20 minutes in a session and that could be what two, three sessions a day. Yep, and uh, and you're doing no more than twenty reps of, of a certain shot. Of a yeah. certain shot, sure. Yeah, yeah I, I certainly uh, that's a uh, uh, great training routine, a practice routine. And we, and we have uh, some exercises that uh, don't even utilize that many. So what do you think the breakdown is for uh, a new student learning to play the game? Well, I think that once you learn something new, first of all, you have to have a way to review it. We talked about that before. Read it and write it and say it. And Think, see, do. Yeah. And, uh, and then we have to practice deliberately. In other words, you spend more time doing deliberate practice uh, with achievable goals and measurable results uh, and less time actually playing. But you always reward yourself with some free play at the end of your deliberate practice routine as a uh, reward for job well done. Yeah, I like that free play. Now, now that could be a little bit competitive. Sure. But I, I doubt it, if it will be. Your brain is pretty well fried at the end of 20 minutes of intense training or practicing. You're fried. People tell me they can practice for eight hours, Scott. Not the way we're talking. No, about. no, we're talking about true practice routine. And you know what? There are uh, there are exceptions to every rule. Oh, of course, you know, people talk about uh, Shane Van Boning and his ability to practice one thing for hours at a time. There's certainly those rare individuals out there that can do that, but the majority of us, a few minutes at a time is all our well, brain Plus, handle. we've got a family or a job. Sure. Uh, that interferes with our pool all the time. Well, the bottom line is that when you are learning something new, you practice deliberately, and then you give yourself some free play to uh, vent, if you will, and just knock some balls around. I like to tell our students that there's a gestation period or, or an incubation period when you bring in new knowledge to when the knowledge becomes a subconscious habit. Yeah. There's a gestation period in there. And, and uh, I don't know how long that is. It's different for every folk. You know what I mean? Well, you know what we say, Randy. It takes as long as it, as it takes. takes. Right. <laughs> so my whole thing is when my practice routines appear in my game, I know I'm there. 
So they'll follow you. Let your practice routines follow you into game time. If you do them right, they'll be in your game. They could be in your game in an hour. They could be in your game in a day, two weeks, or maybe never if you don't practice the proper way. That's right. The right things the right way. So is it okay to go to the driving range with the intent purpose of practicing and use nine of your clubs? <laughs> well, you certainly could as long as you're not hitting too many balls with each one. Well, that's true. Yeah, four or five balls of each one. Yeah, you're going to get physically tired. Yeah. The, the good golf instructors tell me, spend a day with your driver in your fairway woods, spend a day with your long irons, spend a day with your short game. And of course in pool, we only have one cue, pretty much. Yeah, but we got a lot of finesse speeds, we do. standard game. Yep. So there's a whole bunch of parts from golf that we can learn to there put in are. the pool. There are. Well, I'm Scott Lee. I'm Randy G. And, and remember, practice makes, well, not perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. It does indeed. Yes, it does. Join us next week for the One Minute Pool Instructor. Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. This is the Legends and Champions Report, brought to you by Neil's Garage Cabinets of Mesa, Arizona. And I am your host, Mark Cantrell. And uh, I've posted some things on the internet, on the AZ Billiards forums, um, earlier today. I was, I was looking for, you know, we trying to think... Who shall I have on the show this time? You know, who's, who would be interesting to talk to? And, you know, there's, I don't think there's come much more interesting than my guest today. And that is four-time world champion and legend of the sport, Jimmy, Pritchard Boy Floyd, Mattia. How you doing, Jimmy? I'm doing fine, Mark. And how are you today? Doing fine and dandy. Uh, my old buddy, Jimmy, I'll tell you what. I, I, last time I saw you, I think we were in uh, Michigan, and uh, you just live up the road in Vegas now, right? Yeah, I uh, used to live here in Vegas back in the 70s, and then I moved back to Michigan, stayed there for 30 years, and then uh, I moved back here approximately three years ago. And you liking it? Oh, yeah. Uh, Vegas has uh, always been my home away from home. I think it is for uh, a lot of pool players. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to start with start this at the beginning. Um, I just want to kind of find out a little bit more about you. Um, let people know a little bit of the history of uh, Pretty Boy Floyd. Where, where did it all start? When did you first start playing pool? I know it's one of those uh, old cliche kind of a questions, but what got you interested in pool? Oh, well, I... Uh started playing pool in 1959. Uh, my father had a restaurant in downtown Lansing, Michigan, and we lived in the cellar of the restaurant. Well, a couple blocks away, there was a pool room and a card room, and my father liked to play cards a lot, so I would go up there uh, when I was like 10 years old, and uh, he'd be playing cards, and I'd be in the other room playing pool. 
and that's uh, pretty much how I got started. But at some point, going from just banging balls around and killing time, you found that you had a natural aptitude or a talent for the game. Uh, well, do, you, do you remember when that time, when it when it hit that? Hey, look, I'm pretty good at this game. Oh, I would guess I would say when I was probably 13 years old, uh, I had a, a good natural ability for pocketing balls. And uh, from there, it just became a question of, you know, uh, gaining experience and learning things from uh, better players. I enjoyed playing the game, uh, fascinated by the game, uh, to tell you the truth, and uh, just developed a, a deep, deep love for the game. And uh, I, I just, uh, back then, I said, I will play this game until I die, you know, and I... <laughs> I can't believe I actually retired from the game uh, oh, 21 years ago. Yeah, that's uh, that's something right there that I'm going to touch on uh, later on. It, it, it seemed a little uh, little early, but you know we'll we'll, we'll get to that. Um, who first? Where did the Pretty Boy Floyd come from? Is it a cat? You see, to me, is I'm, I'm going to tell you just from knowing you. Pretty Boy Floyd to a lot of people would be a nickname, and it, it obviously it is a nickname, but it's almost it's another persona with you. It's not Jimmy Mattia is one guy, and he does things a certain way, and then you've got Pretty Boy Floyd, who's like an uh, what do you call it, alter ego of of yourself. Who, who first came up with a Pretty Boy Floyd, and am I am I right in saying that? Well, <clears throat> years ago, we uh, started to do pocket billiard videos. No one had ever done videos before on, on, on pocket billiards. So back about 1986, uh, my good friend Larry Lascotti, he was hooked up with some people in Aspen, Colorado, and he asked me to come out there and be a part of uh, four guys to start doing some videos. It was uh, myself, uh, Larry Lascotti, Mike Siegel, and uh, Jimmy Rempe. So uh, I went out there, and we were doing the videos and this and that. And uh, so now when uh, come time to make up the jackets for the videos, well, they all had uh, nicknames at that time. They, they, at the time, they called Mike Siegel Captain Hook. They called uh, Jimmy Rempe King James, and Larry Lascotti was uh, the Prince of Pool. Well, uh, Jimmy Mattia had not, never really had a nickname, so uh, they said, we, "Well, we we have to have a nickname for you." And I said, "Well, I don't really have one, you know." I said, "Everybody just calls me by my last name, hey, Mattia, you know." So uh, he says, "Well, we we got to have a nickname for you." And I said, "Well." I said, uh, back in the late 70s, when I was working under the same management with Minnesota Fats, we used to work together, Fats and I, and everywhere we went, Fats would tell people, this is my protege, Fruity Boy Floyd. <laughs> and the minute I said that to him, he said, that's it. And from there on, I became uh, Pretty Boy Floyd. <laughs> That's funny. So, you, you came up with it, or Fats came up with it? 
That's he's the one that used to call me that. That's you know what? That's pretty cool. I I, I, I didn't know that. That's pretty cool. And that's how it all came down. Now, and and you mentioned um, you mentioned the videos. Um, there's a video that's kind of famous out there. Uh, I think it's is it called How to Be a Hustler? And it's being yeah. mixed, and it was uh, it was on a TV show, Men of the Eighties. Uh, yeah, I, uh, somebody told me it was on the internet, and uh, I never pay attention to really anything uh, that's on the internet. I don't I don't work on the computer much at all, you know. I'm not a computer whiz. Back in the, when I was a kid, computers, well, you never even heard of them. So, uh, anyway, all this stuff started coming on the Internet. And, uh, you know, b- back then when we started doing the videos, we started doing, you know, some instructional videos, and we did some tournament videos. And, anyway, the people from Aspen that I was working with, they they insisted that uh, we do some Hustler videos. And... Uh, well, who, who do you want to use for this? And they said, well, I think I think Matthias is the best, best guy for this. So they called me up and uh, asked me to come out and, and uh, do these Hustler videos. I said, okay. So when I got out there, I thought they had everything lined up as to what they want to do and everything. And uh, when I got out there, uh, they said to me, they said, well, what do we do? <laughs> I mean, what do we do? Uh, okay. Well, so I had them get get me some outfits. I had them uh, get me some people, and I just uh, I tried to script out things for people to say because uh, you know nothing. I had to, I really didn't have much support and uh, no script at all. And uh, I actually put these uh, Hustler videos together, and it took me about two days, and that, and that was it. And considering the uh, short amount of time that I had to do this, I actually thought it didn't turn out too bad, you know, considering uh, all the elements. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's become, that, that video has become, it's, it's, it's funny because it's like when you watch, Anything that happened years ago, and you look back and you go, "Oh my God, look at, look at the hair, look at, you know, what he's doing, look at what he's saying." Uh, and there's been all kinds of little uh, mixes where I guess you, you you must say in this video, I haven't seen the whole thing through. Sure, I'll have a sandwich. I'll sit at the bar. I'll have a sandwich. You must have said it a whole bunch because it kept repeating all the times that you did it. All the time she said it, and uh, it was, it, it, it's, it's amusing, and it's good, and somebody on the internet asked, uh, can, can you find out how that all started? So I guess it was Larry Lascotti uh, from yeah, the Larry whole thing in Aspen. Yeah, Larry Lascotti is the one that got that started, him and his friend, the guy by the name of Brill Key, who was uh, from Aspen. And uh, he loved the uh, sport of pool, and uh, they said, "Hey, you know, let's let's put together some videos." And they did uh, they did very well with it. They they sold a lot a lot of videos, and I mean a lot of videos. Right. And and the other thing I did I didn't know. Obviously, everybody knows who you are, but I didn't know that you had four world titles. 
Well, I won my first world title uh, 43 years ago, back in 1971. I won the uh, world's nine ball in Los Angeles, and then I won the world nine ball right here in Las Vegas the following year in 1972, and then I won the uh, the world's all around championship in uh, 72, and then uh, four years later in 1976 I won the all around championship in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and then, uh, well, I actually won the World Pro-Am Championship in New York, <laughs> defeating my uh, longtime friend Earl Strickland. <laughs> so, I, I, I have world titles under my belt, there's no doubt about that, I mean, anybody that knows me uh, knows that, of course, you know, you're going back a lot, a lot of years, so... With the uh, new players involved today, um, I'm sure that they uh, really don't know much about me because, like I say, I, I, I've been away for 20 years. Uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't know if I, I can agree with that. I think that I think everybody knows who you are. Um, they may not be able to tell you, you know, your list of your career accomplishments, every tournament you ever won, and that kind of thing. But everybody knows who you are, um, and, and talking about, you know, the, the way you got into the game and winning world titles, etc. you know, it'd be uh, absent-minded of me to not ask you, when did you meet uh, the striking Viking? I met Ava when she was 17 years old. She came over to play in the World Straight Pool Tournament in New York in 1981. She had uh, won the Women's European Championship, so she was invited to come and play in the Women's World Championship in, in New York in 1981, and that's where we met, and uh, we hit it off real good and had a lot of fun, and and uh, our first date, I uh, took her to Yankee Stadium to see a baseball, watch the Yankees play. She had never seen a baseball game before, and uh, she didn't even know what Jello was. I remember asking her one time, "Would you like some Jello?" And she says, "Well, what what's Jello? <laughs> they don't have Jello in Sweden, okay?" <laughs> So it was like she was coming into a new world, and I was learning about a new world. And anyway, uh, we ended up uh, getting married and uh, spent uh, eight years together. Do you guys still keep in touch? Oh, yeah. We uh, we don't see each other very often anymore, and uh, we don't talk to each other uh, very often anymore. She's she's been with her husband Mitchell uh, now. They've they've been together for 25 years, but we uh, <clears throat> we have a daughter together named uh, Nicole, and so I always uh, kept in touch with her, to, you know, because of uh, my daughter and everything. Right. But no, we've uh, we uh, we've gotten along fine for all these years, and. Uh, She's a great person. I mean, how, how could you not get along with Ava? I mean, you know, she's a she comes from a wonderful family, and uh, you know, it was it was some of the best years of my life actually being around her and being around her family because it was just uh, it was a new kind of life for me. I mean, I was a guy that was basically uh, born and raised on the streets, you know, 
I mean, uh, back when I lived in the, the cellar of my father's restaurant, I mean, my, my front yard was uh, concrete. My backyard was uh, the back alleys, uh, the fire escapes, and the rooftops. Uh, that was my playground. Right. Um, and so, you, so we, we, we've gone through the start and the middle, and then let's. I don't want to say get to the. It's not the end. Um, you 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 quit playing twenty one years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was forty one. I was, or uh, excuse me, I was, I was forty three years old when I quit. Uh, I mean, that's you know, players are in their prime at that age. But uh, I don't know. I, I just, uh, I guess, I expected something different out of pool than what I was seeing. And what I mean by that is uh, I fell in love with the game of pool at a very early age. I had a natural ability for the game. And all I ever really wanted was to, to make a decent living playing professional pool. But I knew, uh, first of all, you, you know, you had to be good enough. You know, I mean, uh, you're not going to make much of a living if you can't win. So it was always a top priority for me to win. And uh, I thought, you know, just win and good things will happen, okay? But, you know, I then found out the real side of uh, <laughs> professional pool. It's a hard way to make a living. There's a lot of great competition out there. Uh, but unfortunately, with, without corporate sponsorship, you know, it's a hard way to... Uh, to, to, to cut it, you know, and I, I was born in the, you know, the dark days of pool. Back in those days, I started, I played in my first tournament in 1965. Well, in those days, there was not a lot of tournaments. I mean, you were lucky to see maybe three major tournaments a year, and uh, the rest of it, there, there would be tournaments, of course, everywhere, and, and the competition was always a, a tough competition, but there was no money involved. I mean, you know, uh, people would come to play in the tournaments because because they were professional players. They, they wanted to play, but there wasn't that many tournaments, and you were pretty much forced to gamble if you were going to make it. You know, it was just kind of impossible uh, to make it if you didn't gamble. And I never really wanted to uh, be a hustler or a gambler or anything like that. But I found out that, that this is the way that uh, the world of pool works. You know, I mean, let's face it, uh, poker is strictly a gambling game. They have their tournaments, but it's a gambling game. Well, pool is much the same. I mean, we have our tournaments, but... It's also a gambling game. Uh, you know, people like competition. And when you go to a tournament, and let's say you get eliminated early in the tournament, there's no, no way for you to get even or make any money but to, to hop on the gambling table. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, in a way, I mean, it's excitement. You know, American, Americans like uh, competition, you know. And gambling, let's face it, that's, that's a big entertainment all over the world. So 
there's always been a lot of gambling in pool, and and I did a lot of gambling, uh, obviously, with pool, but that's not really what I set out to be, you know. I wanted to try to just make a living playing in tournaments, and that was uh, pretty much impossible because uh, there just wasn't that many tournaments and, and not that much money involved. And right. by the time point, I had turned 43 years old, I just... I just kind of said to myself, you know, I don't have the attitude anymore. I don't have the, the desire anymore because of stuff like that. And uh, at age 43, I just decided to walk away. And at that point, you're a family man. And then here's something that I, and I've said this. I've spoke to uh, um, you know, friends with Johnny Archer and said, you know, what if pool went away? What would you do? You know, at, at that age, you know, Johnny's about this, that same age right now, uh, and as, as am I. And this is all you've ever done. It's all you've ever known. Where do you go if you say, oh, I want to go get a job, and you go to Walmart to get a job, and they go, well, what do, on your resume, what do you put? World champion nine ball player. They said, "Well, we're just looking for somebody to pack boxes." <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I I, I uh, left uh, Michigan in uh, 1972. I was a two-time defending world champion. I was defending world all-around champion. I moved to Vegas, and I. I, at that time, in 1972, even though I was on top of the world with pool, I was very disgusted with what was going on with pool, and I moved out here to Vegas. I enrolled in dealer's school, and then I uh, I became a blackjack dealer out here in Las Vegas. I, I, I dealt blackjack for three years before I finally quit that. Scott Frost just did that, or started to do that. He got upset with the game for whatever reason, and and uh, went up to Vegas or somewhere and decided taking dealing, you know, going to those schools to learn how to be a dealer and, and that kind of thing. But he he went he went back pretty quick, I think. Uh huh. So what, well. what, <laughs> what 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 is it? What do you do now? What how do you you know plan? I mean. I don't do anything. I am retired. I got a birthday coming up in three weeks. I'm going to be 65 years old. So I, I, I've been retired. I don't do anything anymore. I, I, uh, I don't even go into a pool room. Uh, I mean, the people here have always <clears throat> treated me like royalty because uh, when I lived here in the early 70s, you know, that's when I was in the prime of my life. So. Pool's always been very popular here in Las Vegas, and now here I am moving back to or moving to Las Vegas, where I had just won the world title. So, people around here, I mean, they they just uh, have always treated me uh, with the utmost respect, and uh, and I I appreciate that. And uh, you know, like I say, I, I ended up making a lot of friends out here and worked out here for a few years. I understand the casino business. And uh, since I, I've been around gambling for my whole life, uh, it, I, I just thought it would be the perfect kind of business for me to get into uh, if I'm going to, uh, oh, shall we say, quit playing pool for a while. Now, they, uh, 
when I worked at the Tropicana, which is where I spent most of my time back then, it was, and back then it was one of the best jobs in town, the Tropicana, the uh, bosses there would allow me to leave any time I wanted to to go and play in, in uh, tournaments if I, if I cared to play. So I had a, what you'd call a, a very good job and, and uh, bosses that respected me and, uh, you know, let me come and go basically as I pleased. That's uh, that's a no a situation everybody finds themselves in, is it? No, I mean I, I was uh, I was pretty fortunate. So now, not to harp on this, but I'm going somewhere with it. So 21 years ago, you quit playing pool. Right as the Moscone Cup began, because last year was the 20th anniversary. I believe uh-huh. it was. Uh, Moscone would have been 100 years old last mm-hmm. year, uh-huh. and it was the 20th anniversary of the Moscone Cup. So the Moscone Cup started right as you quit. Well, that's that figures. You know, I'm usually a day late and a dollar short. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, so I wonder because you know back when it first started, I mean they had the ladies playing, uh, the men playing. They had a bar set up and all kinds of gimmicks. You know when it first when it first started, and they had the snooker players uh, representing Europe. I think Jimmy White and Alex Higgins uh, mm-hmm. and Steve Davis. They all played yeah. on Steve Davis. Yeah, yeah, I remember a lot of those guys. And uh, I was, I was, because I was thinking, you know, I, I, back in those days, why was Jimmy never in, involved in in the Moscone Cup? Because you know, we're, you know, we we do um, some work with uh, Matchroom, or as far as promoting with the official station for the PartyPoker dot net Moscone Cup, and it just, you know, made me made me think about it, and. Yeah, do you think there's uh, something you is it something you watch? I mean, do you get involved with it? Well, I occasionally will watch um, pool on television. I think uh, the thing that I like most watching uh, of pool on TV is the Moscone Cup. Because of all the excitement that's going on, I think that's uh, just wonderful for the sport of pool and and for the players. Uh, I would have loved to have played in that years ago. Uh, I think it's it's a great event, and uh, whoever came up with that idea, I think, was just a marvelous idea. And I enjoy watching that. I, I don't really care to watch any of the other pool on TV, and uh, and I guess you could say a lot of that is just due to the, uh, you know, there's been the change of so many rules in the game pool, you know, I, I grew up playing the game the way the game was designed to be played, and uh, when I watch it today, I just see so many changes in the game that uh, it doesn't seem to interest me too much anymore. I know. I I understand there's been uh, changes. Um, is there anything particular that you're talking about? I know. I think. What did well, you grow up playing? Straight pool. 
Yeah, back back in the day, uh, I mean, uh, when I was a young player, uh, the main game back then was straight pool, which uh, it eventually, uh, years later, changed to nine ball. But we used to play in the world tournaments, uh, you know, back in the day uh, in the straight pool. We played in tuxedos, you know. I mean, it was a very prestigious event, the uh, World Straight Pool Championship and the uh, U.S. Open Straight Pool Championship. Those was the uh, prestigious events in pool back in the day. And when, uh, I mean, I played with all the greats. I, I played with Jimmy Karras. I played with Willie Moscone. I played uh, Luther Lassiter, Irving Crane, Joe Balsas. I mean, I go on and on and on and name you another 300 people that I played with that were great players, uh, Hall of Famers, and uh, I had the opportunity uh, to play with all these people back then. And I, I was just having the time of my life, really, and until I, well, kind of found out what the real world of <laughs> professional pool was all about. And uh, I just was, you know, I... I just was a little bit distraught about it, and, and I wasn't the only one. I mean, uh, we were all in the same boat together. We were all trying to figure out a way for this sport to, to take off and to where uh, professional players could could make a decent living without all the uh, gambling, you know? Yeah. We, so you changed from, uh, it mainly changed from straight pool to nine ball was that your biggest issue with it or was it what when you say what the pool world is like i I know from my perspective was there anything particular that pissed you off basically and said you know what this is this is not well i always uh, always notice uh, and it still goes on today but uh, there was a lot of it back then uh you know, just a lot of, uh, should we say, politics, a lot of backstabbing, and you have to understand why all this was happening. Well, it was, uh, you know, which I never could understand why stuff like that went on and was happening, but when you have a boatload of professional players and there's not much pie to go around, Things like that are going to happen. I mean, you're going to get, uh, you know, you're going to get walked on and you're going to get stepped on if if you're not in the right uh, political group, shall we say. Well, I, I never cared for politics, uh, especially in the world of pool. You know, I always thought that if, if just win and good things are going to happen. But I found, you know, I won, and I, I, I found myself uh, really not having a chance to do very much. And uh, it was all because I wasn't in the uh, political group, which uh, back then came out of New York and New Jersey. Okay, that's, that's fair enough. The um, I want to go back to the Moscone Cup a little bit. You've been following it. You, I think you told me earlier you've been following it a little bit this year. So what's going on and kind of leading up to it? Um, what's what's your uh, what's your prediction? I, I, I'd like you know I'd love if there was a way for you to get involved in the Moscone Cup somehow. You know I mean I, I know Mark Wilson is the is the coach this year. Um, 
but you know they've they've brought so many different coaches through, and you know Nick Varner, you know um, Buddy Hall was involved. Uh, I think that was last year. Um, <laughs> so, you know, do you ever see yourself looking to try and get involved? Well, um, first of all, we're talking about Mark Wilson being the coach this year. Uh, I think they made an excellent choice. He's a he's a, a, a one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet in the world of pool, in my opinion. Uh, to me, he is too nice of a guy to be a pool player. <laughs> he just doesn't seem to me to be a pool player, you know. I mean, pool players, there, you know, a lot of them are, you know, cutthroats and hustlers and gamblers and this and that. And he doesn't fit that mode at all. He, he's a very good player. I don't know if Mark still plays anymore. But uh, I played with him, you know, for many, many years. I mean, uh, the only thing that separated us was Lake Michigan. Uh, I came, I came from Michigan. He came from right across the lake in Wisconsin. So I've known Mark Wilson for a very long time. And uh, like I say, he, he back then he played a very good game of pool. I don't know if he plays anymore, but. I think he'll do a, a very good job, and he'll absolutely try to do his best in, in coaching uh, Team USA this year. Uh, I wish him all the luck in the world. Myself, uh, as far as the Moscone Cup, uh, of all the things I've ever done in my life with pool, and, and it's been a lot, no doubt, I would, I would like to coach Team USA uh, I think that would be uh, one of the biggest highlights ever of my career. I would consider that as a uh, a very, very big honor. Well, we I guess uh, only time's going to tell on on something like that. Um, you know, this year, oh, just to just to go back, just to let you know what Mark Wilson's doing these days, doing a lot of teaching. And he's got a program at uh, Linwood University. This is it Lindenwood University in Illinois? Uh huh. And he's coaching. Uh, he's he's got a job coaching the uh, college team. There. Uh huh. I see. Which, so he's you know he's putting his experience to to uh, to good use uh, as 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 opposed to you know. Like you said, maybe he's too nice of a guy to be a player. I'm sure he, he you know, he, he must uh, still play to an extent. But like a lot of people, you know, you get they get to a certain age and say, okay, I'm I'm done traveling. I've got a family, and I'm just gonna keep on my uh, merry way, and I'm gonna coach younger players and uh, upcoming players to to do what they do. Mm-hmm. Well, there was a, there was another player from Wisconsin who pretty much the same thing, a great teacher of pool, and that's that's Jerry Bryseth. I don't know if you know Jerry Bryseth or not. I, he, I know of him. I know of him. He's, but I I don't actually know him. Uh huh. Yeah, another guy that was a very good player, and he kind of quit playing, and he took up uh, you know teaching players, you know how to play this game. You know, so there's there's a couple good guys right there from Wisconsin as far as teaching pool, you know, uh, good players, and they know what they're doing. Myself, I don't I don't really know if, uh, I mean, I know the, all the players from America, you know, 
and I've known a lot of them for many, many years. Uh, I've always gotten along good with the uh, players from America, so I, I don't think that uh, they would have any uh, objections to me being the coach of their team. However, on the flip side of that coin, I have been watching them play for the last three, four years, and I'll tell you what, to me, absolutely disgraceful. I'll tell you what, if I was coach of that team, I'm not going to tolerate players being out of shape. You know, that I won't tolerate. I won't tolerate players up there uh, barking and moaning and groaning and crying and telling uh, their teammates about how lucky someone else got to beat them. I wouldn't tolerate that for one minute. I wouldn't ask any of them to give me 100%. What I want is 125%. You know, I, if I was the coach of uh, Team uh, America, I intend to, to bring the Moscone Cup back where it belongs, and that's in America. I don't, uh, I don't take losing easily. I never did. I don't show my emotions like some players do when they lose. I never did that before. I never uh, wanted to be a bad sport or anything. But trust me, whenever I got beat years ago, there was just a, a, a burning whatever in my gut. I mean, I could not wait to play again. And when I found out when I lost the match, well, I don't play again until tomorrow, I mean, I just I just couldn't wait to play again. I, I mean, there were times where I couldn't sleep at night because, you know, I just, I do not tolerate losing. I don't tolerate it within myself, and I certainly wouldn't tolerate it within a team that I'm coaching. I want a player that's going to give me uh, more than what he's got, you know. And this here's, is something the, here's that, the thing with uh, this year with, Team USA, because and, and we've interviewed Mark on the Mark Lawson on the show, um, you know, before a couple of times now. We've interviewed uh, most of the potential team, but with this year, I don't know if you've been following it. It's a different, um, a different format. What's happened in previous years is they didn't. It was based on qualifying. So you had to win. There was certain tournaments that you had to play in and where you qualified on the BCA ranking lists and things like that. And then uh, match with sports, the promoters, uh, they would have uh, two wildcard picks where they could just put anybody they wanted on the team. So uh -huh. the team didn't know because the U.S. Open was part of the qualification process. If you won the U.S. Uh, at one point, if if you won the U.S. Open, you were automatically on Team Europe or Team USA. Mm. Well, I, and, I've, and, never, I've never known how they go to, you know, went about picking which players will play it, or it's not. It's changed. You see, it's changed, Jimmy. A few different times, they've worked different angles on how to do it. This year, they gave, the first time, they gave Mark Wilson the job as captain and said, you have to pick your team, and you can start immediately. You can pick them as fast or as slow as you like. And so this is the first time that they've had a chance to say, and, and I guess he started off, he had 15 people. There's only five on the team, remember, as you, as you know. There's only five on the team, but he had to pick 
uh, he, he picked 15, and then from the 15 potentials, he cut it down, I think, to 12, and they cut it down to 8. And now he's got to cut it down to 5. But what he's doing is they've done some exhibition work, some charitable work, and had all year to bond together. Whereas in previous years, it's been, okay, you know the team basically somewhere around uh, middle to end of October. Mm-hmm. And then, but then you know the team, but you, the, the team, there was nothing much going on, so the team never actually got together until two days before the Moscone Cup. Yeah. So there was well. no bonding, and they, they were trying. You know, I, I, I make light of it, and I, I, I don't know, it's kind of sarcastic, but saying that, oh, oh here's what we're going to do. We're going to have breakfast together. We're going to go go to the gym together. And we're going to have dinners together, and we're going to hang out and practice together. And they're trying to get accomplished. They're trying to accomplish team unity by eating lunches, dinners, and going to the gym together in a two-day period. Which yeah. we all know there's no way that can happen. Yeah, but, that's that's a problem. It, it's it's hard to create good chemistry amongst a team that hasn't been together. I I can understand that. But uh, when I when I look at this team America over these past few years, I just don't see any chemistry uh, with this team at all. As far as Team Europe is uh, concerned, uh, they've got an awesome bunch of players. I'm going to tell you something. Beating that team is going to take some doing, and it's going to take digging down within deep inside of you. If I was to coach Team America, I would try to restore some self-pride in that team, some self-confidence in that team, and and to get a chemistry going with that team. When I watch them play, they look like a bunch of guys, to me, that were just waiting to get beat. I mean, uh, the match wasn't even half over with, and you could just look at them and see there was no chemistry there, there was no confidence, there was no Self-pride, well, I'd like to restore a little bit of dignity back with this team, uh, you know, and, and to get them set on the right uh, direction. But uh, it, it takes a lot of work. And, and like you say, when you don't have time to work with these guys, it, it becomes even more difficult. Right, and it's not been, it's, it's not been their fault. But this year, like I said, they, they've got, uh, they've done, done some charitable events, done some exhibitions, done a, a lot of different things. So, uh, you know, what was it? He's trying to build that team unity, but what he's also trying to do is bring in um, new blood. Um, the, there's a, a lot of the, the, the players, and I've been a critic. I, I look on both sides of it. I think that these some, some of these guys are inexperienced. And it's hard for me. It's hard for me to say that, Jimmy, because these guys play rings around just about. You know, anybody can win at any time. Um, uh-huh. But their well, inex- the inexperience has never been under that kind of a spotlight. Some of them. I mean, you got John Schmidt, yeah, you got yeah, Corey, Corey Dool, and you got uh, Shane Van Borning. We also got Oscar Dominguez and uh, Brandon Scharf, uh, Justin Bergman. You know, there's, there's other players there that I've never had to deal with the amount of pressure that they're going to have to deal with. And that's been my biggest kind of criticism for what it's worth. 
of, of the team. Having said that, now I go back again and go, well, look at the, all the experience we had last year. Archer, Strickland, Morris, Hatch, Shane. You've got all kinds of experience and talent now. But they lost 11-2. So well, it, it's tough to say this younger group, I think they may have that heart. A little, I have the tiger to prove something. Right, uh, you know, you're, you got a, you got some old champions going against uh, some young champions, and uh, I don't know. I, I've been around pool for 55 years right now, 55 years, and <clears throat> I would like to think that I could take anybody's pool game, regardless of who they are, and improve their game. Not just offensively, but but defensively. You know, I mean, I took a, a young girl from Sweden, who back then she really couldn't play. She was not a very good player at all. You know, and after uh, being with me uh, six years later, she was the number one ranked uh, player in the world, and she eventually, as you know, ended up where she belonged, and and that was in the Hall of Fame. You know, in my opinion, when you take a look at all the women in the uh, Women's Hall of Fame, uh, you're kind of hard-pressed to find anybody really that, that was any better than Ava was, in my opinion. I think she's one of the all-time, all-time great women players. And uh, I tried to teach her everything I that I could, but, you know, she, she had the one element that is of the utmost importance, and... And that's determination. And that's the drive to always win. Uh, she just, you know, the more she was losing, the harder she tried. And when things got tough, that's when she got to be her toughest, is when things got tough. And that's one thing I always admired about her. And that's the one thing that I would demand of players if I was going to coach them. You know, I don't want nobody having a give-up attitude. That, does, that doesn't register with me. You never play give-up. That, that, that match isn't over until the last ball is made. And that's the way I've always looked at it. I made a lot of comebacks in my life because that, that was just the mindset that I had. And I think a lot of that I, I, I got uh, from my uh, older brother, John, uh, we played sports. I played all sports when I was a kid in high school. I was, you know, I played baseball. I was on the wrestling team. I was on a track team, uh, the football team. Uh, you name it, I was on it because I just loved sports, and I always knew that in my life I was never going to be no doctor. I was never going to be no lawyer. My life was always going to lie somewhere within sports. And my brother used to stress to me, no matter what sport I was playing, he said, and this was kind of the way my family was, you don't just be somebody on a team. You be the best person on that team. And if you can't be the best person on that team, I want to know why. You know, you're just not giving enough. That's all. And if you don't care to give your all out, uh, you know, just to, donate your whole soul to this sport, then step aside and let somebody else play. And that's that's just kind of the way that I was brought up. And uh, I would expect the same thing 
out of any team or any player that I was trying to to coach and teach. You know, I want to see that drive. I want to see that desire. You know, I, I would rather be the coach of a losing team that showed me that they gave a uh, 125% all the time. That's all I really asked for, you know, you know, to give your all all the time. And if you don't want to do that, if you're not prepared to do that, then then do something else for a living. Well, you, and you, and you mentioned earlier about uh, Eva being in the Hall of Fame. And do you think you... I, I don't know. I, I was. I can I guess I'm a, a little bit shocked that you're not in there already. Um, well, yeah, like I say, there's there's been a change of guard over the years, and perhaps uh, they have just you know more or less forgotten about me. I, I mean, I've been nominated numerous times, and uh, you know, so how many players do you know ever get to be nominated for the Hall of Fame? So. I look at that and say, well, geez, I wish I could have made the grade, but obviously I didn't. But uh, on the other hand, it's it's a huge compliment to me to be nominated for the Hall of Fame. That, you know, that's a big compliment just in itself. So I figure, well, I'll, I'll just take that and run with it. And, uh, you know, I'm not a player anymore. So, you know, it, it was a nice compliment to be nominated. I think you'd, uh, you'd you'd told me before that you'd, you'd it was nice to be nominated, but you would have liked to have got in, and it wasn't really for yourself. It was for to show your daughter that you actually did something. Yeah, my my daughter and I we have a great relationship together. I don't get the chance to see her very much, but we we stay in contact all the time, and uh, she never saw me play, you know, so. She's heard things, you know, about me and this and that, but she never saw me play. And I just thought, you know, to me, it would be more important to me for me to uh, give her the plaque that uh, that they received for getting into the Hall of Fame. I, that would be the first thing I would do would, would be to uh, give it to her because I, I did everything there is in pool and, uh, you know, had a lot of achievements and I had a lot of fun and I got to do a lot of fun things over the years. Um, you know, I got to be in a television series. Uh, I was in a television series with Minnesota Fats on the Vegas show. I got to be in a couple of motion pictures. I got to do videos. I got to do commentary and, uh, you know, I've had a lot of fun things happen, uh, throughout my career, uh, you know, so, I really can't, uh, you know, cry over any spilt milk, you know. Uh, if I make the Hall of Fame, boy, that'd be wonderful. But uh, like I say, on the other hand, uh, I appreciate the nominations that I've had over the years. That's that's very nice. But, uh, yeah, to, to be able to show my daughter that, hey, uh, your old man used to be a pretty good player, you know. <laughs> She's, like I say, she never saw me play, so... She's seen her mother play plenty of times, and she's absolutely proud of her mother, and I don't blame her. But I would like to have her uh, be proud of her father as well. Well, you, you, you said a couple of motion pictures. You were in the, I know you were in The Color of Money, right? Yeah, yeah, and I was in a movie uh, back in the uh, late 70s with uh, Omar Sharif and James Coburn and Bruce Boxleitner, uh, a movie called The Baltimore Bullet. 
Oh, I didn't know you were in that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was uh, living in Vegas at the time. I mean, I was, uh, you know, in the decade of the uh, 70s, from the late 60s to the uh, 70s was when I was in my prime and playing my absolute best. By the time the 1980s rolled around, I started to just get a little bit disgusted with the fact that uh, pool wasn't really going anywhere, and I never could understand it. I think that's the biggest mystery of my whole life about pool is to why this sport never really took off. I I just don't understand it, and I I don't understand it today. To me, uh, pocket billiards of all non-physical sports I don't think there's a sport out there that is more difficult to master than pocket billiards. And uh, when I take a look at the the golfers, geez, I'm (laughs) I'm so jealous and envious of those guys. I mean, they get to do what they love to do. They get paid handsomely for it. And uh, there was an article in Sports Illustrated it must have been, oh, I would say a good 20 years ago, maybe more. Well, they they had an article in there, which is the toughest non-physical sport of them all? Well, pool was number one, golf was number two, and I don't know, maybe bowling or something might have been number three, I don't know. But, but pool was at the top, was ranked as the absolute most difficult non-physical sport there is. And I agree with that. Uh, and I don't say that because I was a pool player. I mean, I, I play golf, too. I love to play golf. I'd rather play golf than I would pool, okay? I mean, I love to play golf, but I I can see in my own mind, in my opinion, I don't think golf is as difficult as pocket billiards. And that's just the way I feel about it, my own opinion. But you have to play both games to have a valid opinion. You can't just play pool once a year or go golfing once a year and try to make an opinion of, of which is the most difficult. you got to get out there and play both sports. And of all the people that I have ever talked to that do play both sports, I would guarantee you nine out of ten of them would say pocket billiards is a more difficult sport than golf. But, you know, in in golf, you have millions and billions. And when you take a look at pool, uh, you know, the the money is just not there. The uh, corporate sponsorship is not there. And and that's that's the thing that makes it so tough for these professional players, you know, not only today, but, but of the last 50, 60, 70 years, you know, the money just hasn't been there. America is a country that thrives on big money. If there's big money involved, you got something cooking. If there's not big money involved, people don't tend to pay much attention to it. And uh, and that's the shameful part about it, you know, that that we don't have more money for these players. Right. Well, just to kind of two things. I, I'm running out of time, but um, so I'll, I, I guess I'll just stick with one. You've been in two movies, and we've been, I found something out. With, uh, uh, we had McCready on the show, too. 
I'm sure you're uh, friendly with Keith. And, oh, yeah, uh, I've, known, I've known Keith. Now, there's another guy that, at, a, at a very young age, was a tremendous player. Had a lot of natural ability, Keith McCready. Well, he was also in two movies. Pardon me? He was also in two movies. Well, I know he had a, he had a nice part in The Color of Money. Uh, other than that, I, I don't know what he's been involved in. But, uh, yeah, you, I was you, there. You'd never, you'd, never, you'd never guess what his other movie was that he was in. Um, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know that. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's, I, if I'm lying, I'm dying. You can ask him yourself. Unbelievable. So, I know. <laughs> oh, well, that's great. Listen, I, I see I see commercials all the time that have pool tables involved. You know, I mean, let's face it, pool is a very, very popular game all over the world. I mean, it's a sport played by millions and millions of people. And so uh, I can see where any kind of a show might say, hey, let's let's get a professional pool player here, uh, you know, to, to help us out a little bit with this and that. And uh, so uh, Keith McCready is now a Ninja Turtle. Okay. <laughs> well, good for you. Good for Keith. <laughs> Right now, I'm going to take a break. American Bullies Radio, the Legends and Champions Report. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back to American Bullies Radio. I am here with Pretty Boy Floyd, Jimmy Mattia. And uh, we ran out of time a little bit there. And so we're on part two. We still seem to have some things to say. And so we'll just join right back in. And uh, Jimmy, you were, gonna, you were just going to say something right before the break, and I put you off. What was, what was that? Uh, I wanted to thank uh, a few people uh, for, who have uh, spoken up for me uh, throughout the years. And uh, Stan Wazlowski. From uh, originally from New Jersey, who now makes his home in the Philippines, uh, him and his friend Mark, they put together a very very nice portfolio on uh, my life and my achievements, and uh, presented it to the people from the BCA because they they really couldn't understand how it's been all these years that I have never been in, inducted. So I wanted to say uh, thank you to them, and I'd like to say. Uh, Thank you to my good friend Larry Schwartz, who is uh, one of the writers from Bayer's Digest, who has always uh, spoke up for me. And uh, Larry has been one of the top players from uh, Chicago for many, many years, one of the best players ever to come out of Chicago. Uh, he's, he's done a lot for me and uh, has always uh, spoke up for me. I'd like to thank Larry Schwartz for that. And uh, Joe Canella, who, who owns Pool Sharks here in Las Vegas, which is uh, probably the main pool room in town when all these players come to town. That's that's usually where they go to, to practice or or maybe get an action game or something. Uh, he's he's uh, always uh, spoke up for me. He's one of the guys that plays on our league team. And, uh, you know, i just like to say uh, thank you to all those people for uh, trying to help me out. I appreciate that. Very good. The... Um, the a question I've got, you, you may know the answer to this better than me, and since you brought the Hall of Fame back, 
uh, end of the conversation, I, I believe there's, there's certain rules with the Hall of Fame. One of them being you have to be 40 years old to get in. Okay, so that's that's that. We know you qualify that. You have to be 40 years old? Yes. Uh-huh. You, qual- you, you qualify, old man. What you've well, got next is to put you on, you can be on the ballot, and I'm sure there's uh, Jerry Forsyth or Mike Houghton or somebody, uh, Mike Pinozo or somebody can put me straight on this, but I believe that you can be on the ballot for four years or four times. It could that, that number could be wrong, but there's only a certain amount of times you can be on the ballot to go in as a player. And then after that, you have to go in under a different category, like meritorious service. Mm-hmm. So well, I don't know I've, I've how never... many times you were on the ballot. Well, that's something that I don't really know either. I, I never, uh, during my playing days, I never once ever thought about the Hall of Fame. I mean, it it never it was something that never really en- uh, entered my mind. Not at all did I ever think about the Hall of Fame. It was only when I decided to uh, quit playing and not compete anymore, then I I started to notice uh, a lot of the people that I grew up with and played with for many, many years. uh, I noticed a lot of them were going into the Hall of Fame, and it wasn't until then that it actually kind of struck me as to, uh, hmm, what, whatever happened to me? Did I, I guess I, I didn't do well enough. But I did do well enough, and I think there's a lot of people that know that, and I think one of the reasons that maybe uh, hurt me, and I'd like to also take time out for this, you know, I um, was rather ashamed, to say the least, of a number of times throughout the years where uh, my conduct was not good. I uh, hurt people. I offended people. I insulted people. And I'd like to take a time out to tell all those people that I am uh, really, really sorry about that. And and I truthfully, truthfully apologize because, uh, you know, that's not the way I am. You know, I I was a kid born on the streets, uh, and I I never considered myself to be any... better than anybody else, and, but on the other hand, I never considered anybody to be any better than me. I always uh, loved everybody and everything, and uh, I've always gotten along with the players great, but there has been times in my life where I have created uh, an embarrassing scene due to my stupidity, and perhaps there was people there who had never seen me before, and perhaps I was just having a bad night, which I have had. And uh, for someone to see me for the first time and to voice a bad opinion of me, that that probably hurts me more than anything because uh, I'm just a happy-go-lucky guy, and uh, I love everybody, and I love everything, and uh, I wish all the players, the men and the women, all the all the greatest in the world. I wish the sport all the best and the players all the best. The, the sport deserves it, and so does the players. But like I say, I, I apologize for anybody that I have ever uh, offended. Um, I came from the school of hard knocks, 
as far as pool goes. And uh, years ago, when I was coming into my own and, and playing my best pool, I never was an outgoing person, not at all. I was quiet. I was humble. I was appreciative of, of the sport. I was uh, ecstatic that I was having, uh, you know, success at the sport. But on the other hand, you know, it just seemed like... Uh, television and, and and this and that wanted a, a character. Like when I worked with Minnesota Fats, I was always working in his shadow. And I never could understand, uh, you know, I'm a champion and I'm going nowhere. Here's a guy that uh, is a, a great entertainer and a lot of fun to be around, Minnesota Fats. He was a lot of fun to be around. But let's face it, he wasn't the player that everybody thought he was. And for me to always uh, be taking a back seat to that, I eventually decided within my own mind that, you know, if, if it's a clown that you want, if it's an act that you want, well, then I guess that's what I'll give you. And once the uh, Pretty Boy Floyd thing started, it, I just became a different character. It's like there was two different people in my body. One was the real uh, Jim Mattia, a, a nice guy, a quiet guy, a humble guy, and a champion player. And uh, the other one was just this flamboyant, outgoing type of guy, that uh, the rambling, gambling hustler. And so <laughs> when it got to those days, there were times where I just, I went a little bit off the air, okay? And I'd be the first one to to admit that. And like I say, that to me, uh, you know, it's shameful to think that there are people out there that don't care for me at all and uh, have bad things to say about me. That that uh, that hurts me more than anything. You know, that hurts me more than than losing a match. And, and trust me, I, I used to hate to lose. I, I just couldn't stand it. So anyway, I would just like to apologize to all them people, and I mean that sincerely from the heart and not the mouth. Well, that's, uh, that's very nice of you, and sometimes uh, as we get older, you start to realize some of the errors uh, that you've made in life, you know? Um, well, there's well, a, the old saying goes, you, you live and you learn. Well, right. I've lived, and uh, believe it or not, uh, I've, you know, I have a cement head at times, but you know what? I've lived and uh, and hopefully I've learned and uh, things that have happened in the past at certain tournaments or this or that, uh, I can promise you would, uh, would never happen again because uh, to me that's uh, quite shameful to have people even uh, think that way about you. So I yeah. apologize. Well, you, you, you mentioned uh, fats a couple times and... You know, I've been on the on the road and and seen a lot of different places and met a lot of different people. And um, one of the funniest things, and I know everybody's got stories. I, I, I what I did, I compiled and I've got this, and it was uh, just about published. And the guy was publishing this book that I had of some of these fun stories that had happened on the road. He's got a, a little sick and uh, he's not able to to do it. So I've got to look somewhere else. But one of the stories in the book is of the time at the holiday, what do they call those, holiday domes, where they have a swimming pool and stuff in the middle of the 
indoor place at Michigan. And uh, you and I was sat. We were having a, a cocktail, I believe. And uh, your old friend, rest in peace, George Middleditch, was mm-hmm. uh, in the in the building. And this is just something that happened kind of spontaneously that I, I've never seen anything like it before. But basically, George Middleditch came up to us and offered to you, should I say, with an enlarged photograph of himself and facts. And he said, look at this. That's me with the greatest pool player that ever lived. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's exactly you. how we started. That's exactly how you started. And you laughed. And then you laughed. And you well, got let me tell you. Nice. Hold on, let me let me finish my story here. You you got hysterically laughing. And people, because it was a real nice bar. It was a long bar that went around. And people looked over. And, you know, I see you laughing. And I, I, you know, it's one of those contagious laughter. So I... You know, I, I started giggling a little bit as well, and you're, now you're you're really belly heaving, laughing. And these people who are all going around the the bar here are looking over like, oh, what's going on there? A little bit strange. And Thirty seconds later, you're still laughing, and I look around. And I'm thinking, oh shit, this is this is going to get embarrassing. The laugh was so contagious. Everybody in the bar was laughing. They had no clue what they were laughing about. But everybody in the bar was laughing. Yeah. And, and well. that, that went on for a while. But what, what was the, what was so fun? I never. I don't think I ever asked you what was so funny about the picture. Uh, well, first of all, the Bass got his name from the movie The Hustler. Okay. Now, originally, you know, Fats came from New York, and around New York, they they called Fats New York Fats. But when the movie had come out, The Hustler, he all of a sudden claimed that he was the real Minnesota Fats and that they were doing a uh, a life story on him. And uh, he, he may have even threatened to sue them. Fats was a good con man, and... Uh, he just all of a sudden became an overnight hero, so to speak. Uh, he was the best pool player in the world, and the public, the general public, who really didn't know a lot about pool at that time, they, you know, he became their hero. I said, "Well, that's Minnesota Pats. He's the best in the world." <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know if Pats ever won a tournament in his life. Eventually, he had a show on television called uh, Minnesota Fats Hustles the Pros. And every week, he would have a different, uh, uh, you know, top pro come on there, and they would play a match together. Well, Fats couldn't beat any of the top pros, so he never won a match. So he had the show changed to where Minnesota Fats Hustles the Celebrities. And he would play people like Zsa Zsa Gabor and people like that, <laughs> of which he didn't have much problem to beat. But uh, as far as uh, him being considered uh, the best pool player in the world, it was all because of the movie. And uh, to me, I just had to laugh at that, <laughs> laugh at that kind of stuff because the pool, you know, like I say, the public really didn't know any better. They All they knew was what, what was in the movie. 
So he was an automatic success, you know, overnight, so to speak. Right. Yeah, that's... uh, I I think most people who are... um, Pool and Billy's aficionados, let's say, realize that fast. I, to me, he could have just had his own one-man show on Broadway uh, or on the Strip, just telling stories. Yeah, you know, he, he, was, he was he was a great entertainer. He'd make people laugh, and I would say uh, half the stories he, he told, I don't know if they were the truth or not, but it didn't matter. He, he you know, he entertained people, and, and people enjoyed being around him, and, and uh, he was this, you know, this fat, jolly guy and, and had a lot of cool stories, and, and people are interested in that kind of stuff, you know, playing playing pool as a professional you're you know you're a magician of the green felt you know like it's like everybody loves magic and uh when you when people think uh the general public when people think of a a professional pool player uh one thing that comes automatically to their mind this guy is a hustler this guy can make any shot there is he can do anything he wants to do anytime he wants to do it and right. you know th- these are the things that the, the public likes to see. Uh, uh, I think every time there's a movie done on uh, on pool, it, it's you know it will always be a, a big lift in the arm for pool. And usually the the movies they do are are, are very popular. I mean, you take a look at the movie The Hustler and uh, with Paul Newman and Jackie Gleason, and then you. Then you take uh, the color of money with with uh, Paul Newman and Tom Cruise, and I mean, uh, it's always a big boost in the arm for pool when when they have a, a movie on pool. So uh, you know, well, you know, you, you said uh, about facts and the stories, whether you know, it, you know, nobody knows if they were actually true or or not. And uh, I was with Buddy Hall. I'm sure you're good friends with Buddy. Um, oh, yeah. He, he told me a story that they were sitting around. There was a bunch of them sitting around, and they're talking to Fats, and Fats was running his mouth, and he said, I've been to every town in the United States of America. If there's a highway going through it, I've been to it, and I've robbed them. And so one guy piped up and said, Tell me honestly, Fats, you're saying that, but have you ever been to a place called Coffee Cup, Mississippi? Fats goes, I've been there a hundred times. <laughs> hundred times. And he went on to name the school principal, the fire chief, the mayor of the town, the uh, gal who does the crosswalk for the kids going from school, and the local uh, hardware store, the Aeon's local hardware store. And he's throwing out these names, but who the hell knows where Coffee Cup Mississippi is, first of all, and if he's, if he was lying or not. But he he told the story off the cuff, like, yeah, I've been there. And he knew everybody in town. No, he had been there. He's friends with everybody there, too. <laughs> well, that's Fats. I mean, he he was an entertainer. And <clears throat> it's strange because when they call him Minnesota Fats, I don't know if Fats has ever even been in the state of Minnesota before. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like I say, when the movie came out, he uh, he took off on that. 
and he, he you know he became a big star but yeah. uh you know truthfully speaking could he beat the top pros in the game no he he had no chance of of, of beating top pros he just was you know he wasn't that good of a player he was a he was an entertainer you know now, I don't know how close you were to him or Moscone, Willie Moscone, but the uh, rivalry, no, I can't say rivalry because we all know that Willie Moscone could, you know, nine times out of ten is going to rob facts. Yeah, well, Moscone that, never... That, 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 do you think it was a legit thing, or was it part of the show? Well, I don't believe that Willie ever liked Fats. He didn't like Fats at all. I think, uh, you know, Willie uh, was obviously one of the greatest players ever played a game, you know. And uh, I had the opportunity of playing him a couple of times. And he, as a, as a kid, uh, he he was my idol as, as when I was a kid. Uh, Willie was, and uh, Willie was a great champion. And I think Willie was a bit jealous that Fats was getting all this attention because Willie knew that uh, you know that they're not even in the same ballpark together. I mean, uh, and I don't think uh, I don't think that uh, Willie really cared much for Fats. You know, Fats was always downgrading Willie, and Willie knew that it was all just an act, and that it was all just a show with Fats, and uh, Willie really, I don't think, cared much for Fats. Yeah, I just wondered if it was, you know, you, you've seen the the, the TV shows, uh, uh, was it Bill Canton used to do the, uh, promote those things on ESPN? Uh, which shows are you talking about now? The, the ones where they did the special exhibition matches again with Fats and Moscone playing each other. Oh, yeah. Wide World of Sports, I think. Yes, yeah, so it used to be out here on the, uh, ABC's Wide World of Sports, and that was at the same time that I was in my prime, you know. And so I was uh, actually uh, pretty insulted, and, and uh, you, know, I, you know, I was upset. I was upset that they were bringing uh, ABC's Wide World Sports here to my town where I lived in Las Vegas. And they have uh, who, who is headlining the show is to, to be the, the two top players in the world, Willie and Fats. Well, Willie was a retired. He hadn't played in a tournament in 15 years. And Fats was just a show. But so I I, I was uh, pretty upset about it back then, and as a matter of fact, one time when they were doing, uh, you know, uh, Howard Cosell was here, and they were getting ready to start the show, and I was with another guy who uh, had quite a bit of money, and uh, we just jumped up out of the audience and, and challenged either one of them to play some for twenty five thousand, which was a pretty good bet uh, way back in the seventies. And, uh, you know, I just barged right in on the show because to me, you know, pool was my sport and I didn't like it when people disrespected pool. I didn't like it when the best players in the world had to sit on the sideline and watch this 
show with those two guys that uh, you know it was uh, it was hard to take you know when you're uh, when you're the best in the world and and you have other people up there pretending to be the best players in the world shall I say because like I say Fats uh, was never a great player and Willie was had been retired from competition for a lot of years so I just uh was a little bit upset about that, and I, I think all the other professionals were perhaps uh, upset about that. So it was a, that was another bad moment in my life, I guess you could say, uh, when I disrupted the show. But like I say, you got to understand where I'm coming from. At that now, time, did they cut, I I did had they cut a out of the show. Pardon me. Did they cut that part out of the show? I've never seen that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, they cut it out, you know. Okay. But I was there to challenge either one of them. And as a matter of fact, I had an article out in a in a magazine where I challenged anybody in the world to play for twenty five thousand, and I never got a taker. I never got anybody to to take me up on that. And and you know, it's just hard when you fight your whole life to be the best that you can be, and in the end, you find out that you know you're on top of the world. And you get shoved aside for just some vaudeville show. So you know what I mean? It it was discouraging. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that. But I, I think that, well, I don't know. I guess within the pool playing community, everybody probably knew. But outside of it, all the, the, the general public who were watching, uh, I don't know if they, everybody knew it was an exhibition maybe, except for the people who were, not connected to the pool world, and they actually thought they, they, at that particular time they were the best. So, uh, well, there was another time, uh, and this was at the uh, Las Vegas Hilton when the, uh, the comes in with the Moscone Pats thing, and uh, and they had four players all from uh, New York and New Jersey. Well, this is the old uh, political clique you know, that uh, was back then that I wasn't invited to be a part of. And anyway, they were scheduled to do a show at the Hilton, and I was there, and they did, uh, <coughs> excuse me, they did give me the opportunity to do one trick shot, okay? So here I am, uh, ABC's Wide World of Sports, or perhaps it may have been uh, CBS Sports, but no, I think it was ABC Wide World of Sports. So anyway, I came out, and I did the old, uh, you remember the old uh, trick shot that Steve Miserak did with the with Miller Lite commercial? Yeah. Yeah, it was great commercial, great commercial. So anyway, I did the same shot, only instead of... Uh, showing off, right? Yeah, just showing off. Right. <laughs> I had him put up 24 glasses all around the table. Everywhere, 24 glasses of champagne, okay? And I'm going to make these six balls in one shot. And if I can't make it, there's going to be champagne all over the table, all right? Well, I set up the glasses, 24 of them. After I set the glasses up, they came out. They filled every glass with champagne. And I'll tell you, I was a bit nervous. (laughs) But anyhow... I made the shot, 
I got the only standing ovation of the whole entire show. I got the only standing ovation. Well, you know what they did? Because I wasn't a part of their clique, they shelved that shot. They never aired it, never put it on the TV, you know, and welcome to the wonderful world of politics. See, these are things that disgusted me. These are things that eventually made me quit playing pool. You know, just a lot of different things that uh, I just couldn't understand. And, uh, you know, I, it just, uh, at times, it just drove me out of my mind. I mean, I, I'm thinking, well, geez, I'm, how long am I going to dedicate myself to this game? Uh, you know, my desire to play this game is leaving me. And when it started to leave me, I started getting beat. And I mean getting beat by players that, that I thought were were not very good players. But I was getting beat. And Why it was me? all because I was just uh, developing a bad attitude. And so, you know, eventually I just kind of said to myself, you know, this is getting a bit embarrassing. Either get out there and play and give it your all or quit. And I decided to quit. Let me ask you this to, to to move on and maybe conclude. Do you see where the pool world is going wrong at this point? Do you do you have any opinion on should it go back to like it used to be, or is there even an opportunity to go back to the way it used to be? Um, Nick Farner told me he he went and uh, played when he was playing college uh, pool. Uh, Joe Balsas came to do an exhibition at his college. And he said there was over 800 people that came to watch. Mm -hmm. When was the last time you saw 800 people go to watch a pool match? An exhibition. I've done many of them. There are hundreds of them. Never had 800, not even close to 800 people there. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, what was the difference then? Was it the mystique? Was it the the fact that you, you heard of Joe Bosses? You saw a photograph of him in a newspaper. Oh, I played I played Joe Bosses many times. Was that the was that the drawing factor, or is it now just so easy to look on YouTube or the internet or on any other kind of media? and be able to learn and see all the things you want to see about whoever the player might be. They're so accessible. I mean, you know, I've I've got a 15-year-old son, sorry, 16-year-old son, who he likes pool, but he's not, he doesn't play it. But you know what? For the price of $300 entry fee, I can, he can play alongside the professional players. Uh-huh. How uh-huh. accessible is that? The hell, he might play... Uh, Darren Appleton, Boston Holman, Johnny Archer, you know, any of those guys, you can play, you can play any of them. If you get the draw, obviously. So now there's no, there's no separation between the stars and the amateurs. So I'm wondering if that's, maybe is that something that's got to change? What do you think has to change? Do you think we can change pool to get back on track? I guess is my basic question. Well, pool is a beautiful game, 
<clears throat> I mean, when God created the pool table, he, he, he created one of the great games and great toys that you'll ever have. And for those people who are fortunate enough to have a pool table in their house, well, years and years and years of just having fun. Oh, every once in a while you might have to change the cloth. But, I mean, pool is a fantastic, colorful, artistic, competitive game. But if the money is not there, it's not going to go anywhere. Uh, and that's just plain and simple. And uh, we need corporate sponsorship. And we've never had the, the luxury of that, you know. And until that happens... Well, that's kind of sore, right? Pardon me? We had the camel tour. Well, a camel tour, uh, I, I remember hearing about that. I, uh, Well, like I say, I haven't been around in such a long time, so I, I don't really know. But uh, I do know this, that uh, my good friend, uh, Darren Appleton, who I've come to know a, a little bit in the last couple of years, uh, he just won the uh, World Straight Pool Championship. Am I correct? Yes. Okay. And he just now, got married. Pardon me? And he just got married right after that. Well, from what I understand, um, first place for the Straight Pool Championship, now this is the World Championship, was $13,000. Now, 13000 for the World's Championship of straight pool. When I won the all-around championship in Albuquerque, New Mexico in 1976, I got $13,500. Now, $13,500 in 1976 was not a bad payday. Here it is uh, 38 years later, and you have $13,000 for the world championship. Now, something, something's wrong with this picture, okay? <laughs> well, I, you know, 38 years have gone by, and I don't think I need to tell you the difference in economy between now and 38 years ago. What could you buy... When when you won the thirteen thousand five hundred, what could you buy with thirteen thousand five hundred? What could you buy? Yeah. Well, I'm trying to get I, would, a scope I, I would obviously say that you could go out and buy yourself a a nice car back then. Uh, thirteen thousand dollars today would be I don't know what a down payment on a Volkswagen. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, no, you could you it, could probably it, still it, get a new car for thirteen thousand. But, uh, I mean, what kind of car? You know, it's not going to be the, the nicest car in, in the world. No, but you could you could get something decent. I mean, you're talking 38 years ago. Now, to think that I made more money in a tournament 38 years ago than a man can make today winning the world's championship, you know, that's there's just something really, really wrong with this picture, you know. And what's wrong with it is you just don't have the major sponsors a lot of the money that comes in these tournaments is from players' entry fees. There's not a whole lot of added money. And, uh, you know, what was I'd the like U.S. Open I, back then? Well, she was, what was the first place for the U.S. Open back then? Do you remember? I remember in 1975 in Chicago, 
uh, and Dallas West won the U.S. Open that year. This was 1975. First place was 10,000. So Barry, hold on. So Barry Berman was the promoter? Uh, the promoter back then, no, I'm, I'm talking straight pool. I'm not, I'm not talking oh, nine no, ball. I'm, okay, I'm talking about the U.S. Open nine ball. I'm wondering, do you it, remember what the U.S. The US Open? The U.S. Open, it was sponsored by, you know, it was a BCA U.S. Open straight pool championship. And back then, it was just a fabulous tournament. You know, the straight pool events back in the 60s and, and then the early 70s were, you know, like I say, we... We played in, uh, well, in the U.S. Open, we didn't have to play in tuxedos, but in Los Angeles, when we went out there for the World's All-Around Championship and you played straight pool, you, we played in tuxedos, you know. And that was, it was really just uh, very elegant, you know. And, uh, you know, we tried to put together as much money as we could, but it was a very elegant event. The, the uh, BCA U.S. Open in Chicago every year was a, a marvelous tournament. I mean, they had the balcony where you could look down on the table, which is the greatest view to watch pool. To look, to have that overhead look of, of watching what a player is doing. And the same way when we had it at the Roosevelt Hotel in New York, the big balcony going all around the room, and there would be like four tables that you could watch. And, uh, you know, tuxedos and it was a spectacular tournament. Wasn't a lot of money involved, mind you, but it was just a very, very class event, you know. And uh, I miss those days. You know, I miss those tournaments. That was uh, a lot, a lot of fun for me. I think it was a lot of fun for everyone, you know. Yeah, it's uh, Paul had his heyday at one point, and hopefully he can come back. So we'll we'll just have to... We'll have to see, but um, Jimmy, I tell you, I appreciate you taking the time and sharing the stories of the olden times and the uh, things that are going on now and what you're doing in your life, and uh, I, I wish you the best of luck. I know there's a lot of people out there. I know you, 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 seem to, you seem to think that there's people out there who dislike you for one reason or another, but uh, I think you've got, whenever you're in the public eye, you're always going to have somebody who doesn't like you for one reason or another, and uh, I think you've probably got more lovers than haters. So um, I, I do appreciate you coming on, and uh, best of luck to you, my friend. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you can tell the people for me that uh, I would one day absolutely be honored to uh, coach Team America. I don't think the American players would have any problem with that. I can only see that if I, if I didn't get the nod to be the coach, then I, I would have to point uh, my fingers at, at the Europeans. If, if they are uh, that intimidated by me or don't want me to be the coach, then be man enough to say so. That's all. But other than that, I, I would hope to be the coach one day of Team USA, and I intend to bring back the Moscone Cup back where it belongs in the United States. And if I can't do that, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a big long look at me. And if I can't bring the Moscone Cup back to the United States, there's a good chance that I'll leave this country and you'll never see me again. Well, we haven't seen much of you anyway, so I don't think anybody's gonna. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody's gonna miss me. That's who don't miss you that much, man. <laughs>
Well, I thank you for uh, inviting me to be on your show, Mark. And I'd like to say I wish the world of pool and all the men and women that play it professionally, I wish them all the absolute best. That's that's a, that's for sure. You got it. Hey, I might be getting married up in Las Vegas, so you, you know, I'll send you an invite. You're getting married? Well, well I got engaged I like last month, and so now I'm probably going to have to get well, I married. Hope and... I, I hope she's a good player. You know, she should, no, she, she, look at this, this is, this is funny right here. Uh, okay, I'm trying to uh, wrap this up, but I keep coming up with stuff. She, uh, I first met her and she knew I was involved in pool and billiards and that kind of thing. And I went down the road and I, I came back and I came back and Earl was with me, Strickland. And he was going to stay at the house for a couple of days. And... When I tell you she doesn't know nothing about pool, she know she well, she didn't she knew shit nothing absolutely zero. And I said, oh, my friend Earl's going to be staying with me, but come over, we're going to have dinner. I'm going to make some spaghetti. So she came over, and she gets talking to Earl on the couch while I'm cooking the spaghetti up, and I'm watching. And she said, oh yeah, pool came into the conversation somehow. And she said, oh, you like pool? And he looked at her with a quizzical, kind of, you know, that look Earl has, a quizzical look. Yeah, I like pool. She said, you should talk to Mark. He works with all these top professional players. He can probably get you somebody's autograph if you want it. (laughs) (laughs) I got got one question for you, Mark. Since when does an Englishman know anything about spaghetti? Now, I'm part Italian. I'll make you some spaghetti, okay? <laughs> you, you got it. Next time I'm in Vegas, I'll take you up on it, man. <laughs> okay, guys. All right, buddy. You take it easy. And, uh, All right. That, that, that's it for the Legends and Champions Report on American Billiards Radio with our special guest, Jimmy Mattia, and myself, Mark Cantrell. I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. I hope that uh, you got some information. It's... It's been a lot longer than usual. Again, it's two parts, but, you know, sometimes you get chatting and the stories are interesting. I don't want to stop it. And so Mr. Barnes, the producer of American Billion Radio, is probably going to chew me out again, but uh, uh, let him know if you want to hear the whole thing or if he's going to start trying to whack it up. Um, thanks again for listening. Until then, we will see you next week. <laughs>